Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. I'm Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Hi, everyone. Happy Wednesday. My name is Emily, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast. Thank you for tuning in today if you are a new listener. Before we begin, I want to quickly dive into my recent ebook release. If you guys didn't know, I recently released my career guide slash ebook. It is called The Everyday Girl's Guide to Career Success. So in this book, I give a lot of my personal tips and insights on the interview process, how to answer very difficult interview questions. I give um, custom resume templates, custom cover letter templates, resources on where you can find jobs, um, your attire to wear to the interview. It's literally 55 pages and I worked very hard on this book to kind of put together for um, many of you that often ask me career-focused questions. I think that's kind of been um, part of my niche in a sense because of my balance in having a corporate job and also doing my own thing, obviously business-wise, podcasting, blogging, everything like that. So um, I'm very passionate about it and I have learned from many of you that you have found it resourceful and valuable to your own success in your job interview process. So thank you so much for those who have bought it and have shared with me some results or some success so far. So if you guys have a chance, check it out. It's on my blog. It's at emilyelizabeth.blog. And on um, the product page, you can just find more details on the book as well. Okay, so moving on to today's guest, I have Monica Choi on today's episode, and I will do kind of like a different introduction on her because she's actually one of my amazing friends I met in college, and she's someone that has impacted my life significantly, um, I'd say more than she even knows, because when I first met her, um, I really pretty much like had no friends, like legitimately no friends. Um, This was the beginning of my junior year of college and I was just going through a terrible uh, and very rough patch in my life at that point. I was going through a very rough breakup. Um, A lot of my friends either graduated from college at that point or, um, you know, I just didn't really have a concrete 
uh, group of people I felt like I could trust in my life. And so um, she was the president of my sorority when I transferred to Chapman University. And that's how we got connected. And um, I think I mentioned it on the episode when we talked, but the first time we met, we went to get dinner at this um, place. I think it was during the summer after her work hours she was interning and um i just remember i had such a great first impression of her she uh not only paid for dinner which i was like no you should not but she insisted and i just remember just thinking so highly of her and and the way she um approached it but just we ended up having a five-hour conversation the night we just met so um i always just remember how she made me feel and she has always gone like beyond to to do to make me feel um special to make me feel good um and during the most important times when i was having a very difficult you know transition into a new school and still getting to know people so she really made that transition fluid for me and i remember it to this day and i know i'll continue to remember it because of how difficult that that part of my life was and how she also shaped the way I believe in um you know how I make friends how I treat people because and also just in the leadership aspect which we do talk about today because I always told her she was the best sorority president or best president in general I could ever um imagine having in a club you know regardless if it's a sorority or if it's another type of club she really holds herself to a high level high standard while also really considering the the shoes of the people she is leading and i think that's such a valuable skill to have um as i'm sure many of you guys can agree but she's just someone that taught me those things um whether she really knows that or not it's for me it was out of observing how she made me feel as a person and as a friend and also observing how she made other people in our sorority feel um because of her incredible leadership so i knew from the start when i created this podcast that i would eventually interview her because of just how badass she is and how incredible of a friend she is and her insights on leadership and working nine to five and and working you know just kind of like what most of us do after college so we definitely talk a lot about just different things I think is very valuable yeah so you'll just learn a little bit more about her in the beginning of this episode but without further ado let's just get right into it Monica Choi how are you doing girl (laughs) I'm good. <laughs> cool, dude. It's been so long since I feel like I've last seen you, but it's funny because I think the last time I saw you, I told you about my plans for this podcast. So it's kind of funny, like how much time has passed and like where this is now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, I'm super stoked to have you on. I feel like you're going to have a lot of lot of valuable things to talk about. But first, give just like a quick... I guess you could say elevator pitch of who you are, maybe like what you studied, what you do for work today, you know, the whole shindig. Oh, okay. Wow. I did not prepare for this. Um, no, all good. <laughs> well, like Emily stated, my name is Monica. I'm currently in the commercial real estate industry. Um, I work in the mortgage sector. I'm currently with Opus Bank, who is actually in the midst of getting acquired by Pacific Premier. 
um, started in that industry because I have a real estate background and I love numbers. So real estate finance kind of seemed like the most suited uh, job for me. And hobbies, I like to dance um, and cycle. And yeah. And I, I can't wait to like touch in more on like your corporate experience and stuff. So we'll definitely get into that a little bit later in the episode. But first, I really wanted to dive into kind of like a leadership topic, because this is something I've admired you for so long. And you know this, because I always said, you're the damn best sorority president I've ever had. And all my friends say I who are in DG as well. But, um, you know, all funny things aside, I do think you have a lot of knowledge and awareness on what it takes to be a good leader and kind of how to serve people. So uh, I guess first question I want to ask is, what is your mentality when it comes to being a leader? Or you could just, you know, explain your mentality at the time, at the very least, you know, when you were the sorority president or in similar positions. Sure. Um, I think when it comes to any leadership positions, I think First of all, I'd like to state that I've always been kind of drawn to holding leadership positions. So even, you know, throughout middle school and high school, joining student government and things like that, or being president or having leadership positions in a club was always something that I kind of was drawn towards. Um, And I think through all of those experiences, I realized the best leader obviously meets the needs of whatever audience they're serving. Um, And I think the most important factor is just to remember what it was like to be a member. Because I think when you're in a leadership position, it's really easy to forget what it was like being in the, in the position of the, of those who are being served. Um, And you kind of get lost in the politics and you forget what it's like to be an actual member. So I think that's kind of the main theme that I tried to keep in mind, um, especially when I held my leadership position in my sorority, um, which I think helped because I think a lot of the negative um, emotions kind of stemmed from the disparity between, you know, the board, um, which we called CMT, and our members. Um, And so my ultimate goal was to kind of bridge that gap between those who hold leadership positions and those who are just members. Luckily for me, I was also a member at the time in a business fraternity, Alpha Kappa Psi. So it was really easy for me to remember what it's like to be a member because I was still a member in another fraternity um, while also holding a position in DG. Yeah, I, I like that you have that serve mentality. And I know that's something you told me as well when we were still in college. I always asked you like, you know, you're, you're so good at what you do. I've never seen such a good president. And I was definitely very redundant in telling you that all the time, but I, I swear like your leadership and your perspective during my first semester at Chapman, which was obviously, you know, a huge transition for me. It just definitely, I think put things in a different perspective for me, seeing how you led a chapter, you know, full of, I don't know, like 150, 170 girls. Um, But I I do want to see too, or kind of get your take on it, because I know not only myself, but many other girls in the chapter always said you were for sure by far like one of the best, if not the best president in a long time. So I wanted to see 
what do you think attributed to your likability from, I guess, majority of the chapter? Mm, um, wow, that's a really good question. Um, maybe people, no, I'm just kidding. I was going to say maybe people just like me. Um, no, but I, I, and again, this kind of just touches on how my mentality when I held my leadership position and just to kind of give one example, you know, I think having that personal touch when you're leading um, is extremely important. So I think, you know, the whole rule about not being able to drink um, at date party or like get really drunk and be rowdy at date party. Um, And I think this is just a really good example of just, you know, making the chapter realize that you're you know what it's like to be in their position. So I remember every time before there was a dance or any time before there was an event, I would always say, because we're in college and, you know, I don't, I could stand up there and be like, hey, don't get drunk and don't black out. But that's not really going to translate when everyone's going to drink. And, you know, sometimes, you know, people go above their limit anyway. So what I would always say is it's okay if you want to black out because you're probably going to do it anyway. Just don't do it at date party and don't do it because it's not only, you're not only being held responsible for yourself, but you're also putting other leaders like myself in a position where I have to get you in trouble. And I don't want to do that. Um, So I think just reminding them that I, you know, even though I, I do hold a leadership position and my job is to make sure that, you know, people aren't getting too drunk and blacking out. I also don't want to be the person that's getting you in trouble because at the end of the day, I'm still your friend. So don't put me in that position of, you know, having to have those difficult conversations with you. And if you're in college and you want to have fun, that's fine. Just that event that we're having is not the time to do it. And I would always say on a scale of one to 10, if 10 is go hard, go party all out, just be somewhere between a five and a six just for the two to three hours of this event. Whatever you want to do outside, as long as you're safe, you know, albeit go for it. So I think having those types of conversation versus like, oh, if you drink, you're going to get you in tr- get in trouble. You know, I, I think it just translates a little bit differently. I was going to say, like, I love like that you bring that up too, that you're very realistic with how we are in college, right? I think that is, you know, maybe you could agree or disagree, but I do think there are some people, you know, who are in leadership positions, like not saying from our chapter, but let's just say in general, some people pretend like, yeah, you know, no, we, we don't think you drink. And I think that's probably something huge that you did differently compared to my previous, you know, experiences at another school where everyone pretended like we're, you know, we're saints, like we don't drink, like don't no underage drinking. And I feel like, you know, obviously we, we know like don't do that, but at the same time you kept it so realistic, like you said, and then you just, instead of, it's kind of like that parent where they, they try to like hide the truth of Definitely. what the world is. That's a really good example. Yeah. It's like, it's like not letting your 18 year old about to graduate from high school kid, not take a sip of wine when you know they're about to do it at freshman, like in freshman year of college, you know? Right. No, that's, that's such a good example. It's like letting your kid know, Hey, I was in your shoes one day too. And (laughs) look, if you're going to be put in those situations, that's fine, but do it with me first and do it in a safe environment. Yeah. I think, 
having that relatability, I guess, um, definitely helps. And it also builds that trust factor too, um, mm -hmm. instead of, because I feel like when leaders do in sororities at least come out and say, hey, don't drink or you're going to get in trouble, then people right. are more inclined to kind of hide what they do from their leader versus yeah. be more transparent if you feel like there is kind of a trust factor. If you feel like, hey, I can go to my leader and still not be scared that she's going to rat me out or something like that. So I think especially before, because our when I led the chapter, we had just come out of our probationary period. So mm -hmm. I think the leaders before, which they rightfully so needed to, were a little bit stricter on the rules. And it was a lot more black and white, like, hey, if you do this, you're going to get in trouble. And I feel mm -hmm. like during that period, they needed to do that because we were in a probationary state. However, it kind of built this distrust between members and the board because it was super black and white. So I think I did come in at a good period where what we needed was to bridge that gap. And so someone like me, who is very personable and who is a little bit more relatable, um, was super fitting for what our chapter needed at that time. 100%. And I'll, I'll never forget like my first impression of you when I like first met you. I think it was at that whatever like vegan restaurant we went to. and Seabirds. Yeah. <laughs> and we just like, talked for hours and I'm like, dude, this is my sorority president. This is dope. <laughs> So yeah, that was that was some good times. But um, would would you say like, do you think there's a reason why some people don't have the serving mentality? And like, if you do think there's a reason, like, what are ways to get around it for those who do want to be in leadership and want to develop that serving mentality more? Because that seems to be kind of like the discrepancy between a good one and a not so great one. Oh, um, I think. Uh, like I said, luckily for me, I, I was still a member in another organization, which really helped keep me grounded. Mm -hmm. But I feel like for people who don't have that opportunity, I would say just because I think what happens a lot of the times is those who end up holding leadership positions, they start surrounding themselves with people in the chapter who hold leadership positions. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of even the people that they're surrounded by in the chapter are people who are in the politics. So it's easier for them to forget what it's like to be a member. So I think, you know, going to sisterhoods or even having one-to-one -one conversations, building stronger relationships with people who don't hold leadership positions, and especially having relationships with people who don't fit the particular mold of that organization. So, I mean, every chapter goes through this. There's always people who kind of, are stragglers in the mm -hmm. sorority and it kind of seems like they don't really have a place in the chapter and I think remembering to build relationships with those people especially because people who already kind of fit the typical mold of a sorority they're probably gonna kind of have a better experience already maybe their parents were in the sorority or maybe they already have relationships with people um, personally that are in the sorority but I think remembering to build relationships with people who aren't that typical person and trying to figure out how to meet their needs as well, um, I think is super important. So yeah, I guess just, just building relation, personal relationships with people who are just kind of a typical member and trying to you know talk to them about how, how they feel like their experience is going and what they feel like you know the chapter could improve on. And it's different when you're having a leader hold a conversation with a member versus a friend and a friend. Mm -hmm. Because if, if you're having a conversation with a friend, then they're more, more likely to open up and be honest with 
their concerns about the chapter, regardless of, you know, what your title is. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's like actually a good segue too, because I wanted to kind of discuss a little bit about like friendship as well, because I have in my little notes here that, you know, obviously you've always been noticeably a very good friend to me. And you were also my first friend at Chapman and definitely impacted my first year of, of Chapman and, and just also, of course, transitioning into the chapter so much. Um, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, cause obviously you touched on, you know, having that personal relationship with people building, you know, that meaningful relationship. What are traits that you think, whether it's like ones that you have, or you've seen that maybe have um, shaped your way of thinking in the way you treat others, like as a friend, like what are traits you believe are crucial in being a good friend? Ooh, um, that's a good question. I think for me, it's kind of just figuring out what that person might need, um, you know, whether it's emotionally or I guess emotionally would be the main thing and kind of try to figure out a way to relate to it or address it. Um, I think part of it is also something that you have to practice on. So I think being able to kind of, I think the main thing is being able to relate to them and help them emotionally. But um, I would say another thing is just laughter. That's kind of <laughs> like my main way of, I guess, building relationships with friends is, you know, when you are together, it's, it should be a positive experience. Um, and for me, I, I do that through humor. And I think a number one way to figure out whether you gel with someone or not would, uh, would be to figure out if you hold similar values. Um, and that might be kind of the first thing that you want to delve into. I I know it's funny that you said like humor too, because I remember like, I, I don't know what I, it's at this point, it's been like, I guess, what is it? Three years now, I think it was 2017 when like we first met like had dinner and I, I don't know what we talked about, but it was just like a lot of funny shit basically. And something else that just came to mind too is like super random. But like um, when I was moving out of my old apartment, that was the one with um, like my ex because I lived with him. And I just, I just, I just was just reflecting on that the moment you were you're sharing some of the, the traits. But I was like, I can't believe you and um, you know your other friend came to help me clean out my apartment. Like, and you knew me for I don't know probably at a month at most. And I was, I think that's just something that I was always like, Monica is such a good friend, and like I need to take a page from her book on like being a good friend because I think like not only were you able to be a good leader, but like a really good friend. And I think um, there's something that that can be taught there, you know, like how to treat people, how to like be there for people and like still keeping yourself sane. So I just felt like you had good insight on that. I don't, I don't know. Like, I just think like you've kept it so consistent. Like, I feel like there's people who know how to be a good friend, but oftentimes it's like kind of in waves. And I just think I'm so impressed that like, you know, maybe to you, you don't think it's as consistent, but to me, I, I feel like there is a consistent theme of the way you treat people. And I think, yeah, it's probably kind of hard to put into words, but I think like, I wish people could kind of see it and like use you as an example as to how to better treat people and how to be a better friend as well. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I really appreciate you saying that. Um, and obviously, you know, there's, 
everyone kind of has a differing opinion of what it means to be a good friend. Um, so, and I think what it comes down to is, again, do you guys hold the same values and do what you consider being a friend, good friend, does that other also consider those same traits to be, um, you know, what considers to be a good friend too. So I think finding those, I guess, similarities would be important because, you know, there's some people who might think that if you're too nosy or you try to kind of delve into the deep stuff with, you know, everyone, then that might not be considered to be a good friend. So, yeah, I think it just kind of, it depends on, I guess, who you're trying to build that relationship with as well. Where where do you think your own traits develop from? When I guess when it comes to being a friend, I guess just for me, almost out of curiosity, like do you think it's just from your upbringing, or do you think it's learning from someone else, like they treated you really well and like you kind of caught on, or you know, where do you think those um, great qualities came from? I think well, humor is kind of it just you you see the results you know when people when people laugh you automatically feel like they are you know enjoying your company more so that just kind of came naturally i guess by trial and error but i think for me the like the relatability factor which is how i feel like um i connect with people the most is um just cuz obviously everyone kind of goes through their own shit but in different ways um, and it's super transferable to whatever other people are going through. And I think um, that, I don't know where that got built from, but I think that's something that I kind of carry on through all my relationships is, you know, being able to kind of reflect on the stuff that I've gone through and hearing out whatever the frustrations that they have going on in their life and seeing how, um, you know, the stuff that I've gone through can translate or transfer to what they're going through um and that also might just be trial and error kind of just doing that throughout my life and seeing how it's kind of benefited my relationships so yeah I guess ultimately it's just a bunch of trial and error and those humor and I guess relatability have been the most successful yeah no and I totally see it too (laughs) yeah um but now I want to, I guess, segue into your corporate life and, and work and kind of what you do now, I guess, two years post-grad, right? It's been two years? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, I, I don't even know what day it is, to be honest. <laughs> um, but I guess, so you, you work in kind of, you know, a very corporate setting, how would you describe what it's like? I feel like, you know, we talked about it a little bit when I first started my corporate life and it was very kind of different from yours, but then hearing what yours is like, it just definitely gave me a lot of perspective as well on, you know, what nine to five looks like for different people. So how about like you share what your nine to five kind of day to day looks like before COVID? (laughs) Oh, day to day. Jeez. I mean, it's kind of what you would expect, obviously, depending on what you're doing for me. I just, it's a lot of Excel. Um, I go in and, I get certain deals and I basically just have to run the analytical work on it. But um, I guess kind of the the stuff that's not really talked about about corporate life is um, I guess the number one thing is kind of being surrounded by people who are like-minded and in the similar industry 
kind of helps to drive you to, um, I guess, do well and be excited about what's to come, especially for me. Um, my banker is super motivating um, and I have a very close personal relationship with him and he kind of makes me excited for what um, is to come within the industry. Um, I guess one kind of negative thing um, that you'll learn for anyone who does end up going into the corporate world is that there are, will always be people that you don't necessarily like to work with, that you'll have to work with. Um, but I mean, that's just kind of like, uh something that you're going to have to deal with regardless even if i guess you're not in the corporate industry you might have a client or a customer that you don't necessarily want to serve but you'll have to anyway i was going to ask how do you deal like in your personal experience how do you deal with you know whether it's working with someone you don't like or yeah serving a customer you're not having a great vibe with what what's your way of managing that I'm, for me, it's always been to address the issue um, because you can kind of passively work with that person for so long, but I think eventually it'll kind of show in the way you guys interact. It'll show in your work um, and it'll, it'll show to your superiors as well. So um, I think just, uh, yeah, uh, when, when you can addressing the issue um, and sometimes it won't communicate sometimes it'll you'll think you'll have a a confrontation and you'll think it'll get solved but it won't and you kind of just have to accept that it is what it is um and sometimes there's not really anything you can do about it because you know but usually by the time that you're in a full-time job you're an adult and it's kind of hard to change someone who's been that way for however many years Mm -hmm. so um it's just kind of figuring out I guess, how you can set aside your differences and still continue to work with that person successfully. Um, For me, um, specifically, it's my method has been to only interact with that person when it comes to professional matters Mm -hmm. and try to uh, minimize my interactions with that person anytime else, because I've realized that just just minimizing the interaction and the time that we interact has been better towards our relationship. Yeah. So when it comes to addressing it to that person, do you typically try to do it right away when, you know, an issue occurs or, or do you wait it off and and which way would you recommend? Ooh, I mean, it's obviously all going to differ. It's going to be a case by case basis, but I know for me, when I just think back to certain examples and I I won't delve into them too deeply, but um, I usually try to cool off a little bit just to get a little bit more level headed. And I always have a third party person there too, Mm -hmm. kind of like a mediator. So um, just, just so that it's not, it doesn't get too personal between me and that person, because obviously when confrontations happen, it's easy for emotions to kind of get the best of us. So I usually always like to have a mediator there, whether it's another coworker or a superior, um, just so that they can kind of listen to both perspectives. And then it's, it's, it's nice to usually get a third person's input to see whether, you know, maybe you're overthinking something or, you know, maybe the other person is. So um, yeah, I think those two methods I usually address it right away but mm-hmm. I wait I try to wait until I am a little bit level-headed definitely 
Yeah, and I do agree too. I think it's good to wait to be level-headed because I think I've caught myself in previous years where I would want to address something with someone and even now too that, you know, I know I want to address it right away because I'm feeling a little bit, you know, either upset or conflicted by whether what they said or did. But then I realize it's just more effective for me, you know, for myself to just wait until I am more in a neutral state before addressing it. Cause then I'm a little bit more clear and I make sure I don't go irrational, I guess. <laughs> right. Right. Do you have any tips for anyone that wants to go in your specific field? So you said you're in commercial real estate, but also mixed with like banking, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, what are your tips for anyone that wants to go or considering that, that field? It would depend if they're, I mean, if they're trying to go directly into commercial real estate banking, which is what I'm doing, um, I'd probably suggest learning a little bit about the real estate industry. Luckily, like I, I mentioned, I've, I've kind of grown up in a real estate background and I got my real estate certification uh, when I was a sophomore in high school. So certifications are super easy to get and they're kind of um, an automatic resume builder. Um, and it kind of sets you above the competition because typically people who are younger don't really have certifications. So I think getting certifications is something super easy and tangible that someone can do. Um, and another thing is just internships and, you know, that's something that I wish I did more of. Um, but cause you know, you can learn a bunch of stuff from school, but at the end of the day, you learn a majority of your stuff when you're on the job. Um, and so getting hands-on experience is super important because you're also building relationships with people in the industry when you're doing internships. And you would be surprised that a lot of people love interns typically when you go into a corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, they just they are eager to teach people. Um, they're eager to learn, you know, what you want to pursue. And this is just what I've experienced and typically, um, like the first day when I was an intern, I had so many people ask me out to lunch and it was, and I don't know if it was just the culture of, of where I was interning, but, um, but I mean, I think a lot of people like to talk about themselves. So I think when, you know, you go in as kind of an eager, I guess, person to learn about the industry, a lot of people are, are happy to kind of, I guess, help you. Um, understand what the industry is about and talk about themselves. <laughs> for the certification, is that something you think would be good for for anyone that even wants to be, let's say, like, you know, an assistant, like, let's just say outside of commercial real estate, let's just say in real estate in general, would you say that's good to have, um, even if you want to be just like an assistant to someone that's, let's just say, hypothetically, like big time in real estate? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Cause I think it just goes to show that you have a, like, it's a, cause you could say in an interview, um, you know, I've learned about the real estate industry. I've, I've been doing whatever, whatever for however many years, but unless you have something tangible. And I think that that just goes, you know, just interview skills, resume, uh, building in general, um, just kind of saying over broad topics about, you know, I've done this and this for however many years I have these and these skills. It kind of goes so far, but if you have tangible statistics and tangible certifications to kind of this, I don't even need to tell you that I've had, 
you know, I have a baseline experience in real estate because my certification alone gives you solid proof that I do. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely think think it think it helps. Um, my mom and my sister are in the residential real estate industry, and you know, I'm I'm sure that they would say the same for assistants that they hire. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably think certification is kind of a baseline thing that they they require. So, yeah, I I don't I think it can do nothing but help. Okay. Even if you're not in the real estate industry, probably. Yeah, I I mean I kind of asked that personally because I you know I tangent, but I've been watching Million Dollar Listing New York. I don't know if you've heard or watched that show, but it's it's pretty. Yeah, boring. you told me briefly last time. Oh, did I really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so basically, like. I've obviously considered moving to New York as well in like the future. And, you know, I was, I just randomly was seeing positions of like, even just being an assistant to someone that's like really good in the real estate industry. I've always been curious, like, Oh, I wonder if it'd be more competitive for me to have like a certification, like, what is it like? Like, what are the, you know, steps? So um, just hearing you say that, like you have got it in like your sophomore year of high school. I mean, that's just so ahead of the game. So, I mean, certainly a lot of people could, you know, learn from that just by listening here. And maybe that could help put them in a better position to get the opportunity. Mm, Definitely. And it's, it's pretty simple. Um, It's not like, you know, the CPA exam or anything like that. It's not Mm -hmm. super crazy. So it's, it's pretty easy to get. And the, I, I think the benefit that you get out of it is definitely outweighs what it takes to get it. So, Mm -hmm. so now I want to just talk a little bit about how you manage your schedule and kind of find ways to balance. Cause I think that's definitely something a lot of people who aren't in a nine to five job yet, or haven't kind of seen that side. Um, you know, a lot of people are curious. So how do you find ways to, you know, maybe fit in a workout like yoga or cycling or taking time for yourself and socializing with friends? Like how do you, you know, incorporate that into your busy schedule? I think that just comes with building a routine. Um, and that's, you know, it goes along with any habit that anyone is trying to build. Um, like right now, I'm trying to build a habit of waking up at like five or six in the morning, which I've been doing for like two and a half weeks now. So during COVID? super great. Yeah, during COVID. Dude. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like my quality of life is so much better when I wake up, that, which is funny because even before Corona, I would never wake up that early. But um I'm just trying to build that better habit. But to go along with your question, um, I like my main forms of exercise, well, at least before Corona when cycling studios were still open, um, was cycling and dance. Um, for dance practice, that's kind of a, a routine thing that I don't really get to, I don't really have control over. But mm-hmm. with the whole cycling thing, I, I've been probably doing it for a little bit over two years now. And it just kind of goes into you know, the habit of getting yourself to go. The hardest mm-hmm. part is getting yourself to go. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the the schedule for work is, again, isn't something that I can control, but the schedule for cycling is something that c- I can control. And so just getting your ass out the door and, and mm-hmm. getting there is probably um, kind of like the only way I was able to develop my routine. Um, and, you know, I think when it comes to work-life balance, I usually just try to fill my weekends up with doing fun stuff. Um, since the week is so mundane and doing the same things over and over again, I'm usually never 
um, in my hometown during the weekends. I'm usually sleeping at a friend's house or kind of doing with friends over the weekend or visiting places. So I, I try to do my best to kind of, I guess, keep my my weekends filled with exciting stuff so that I'm, I'm, I feel like I've gotten everything out so that I'm ready for Monday to roll through. Mm-hmm. When it comes to getting that balance in, in everything, do you plan it out like on a planner or Google calendar of some sort? Or do you just kind of... I just use my iPhone because I have it with me everywhere I go. Yeah. In college, I used to use the Erin Condren. That was my thing. I had yeah. that every year. <laughs> and I still have my Erin Condrens just just for kind of memory's sake. But, um, you know, in, in college, you're always carrying notebooks around or laptops or something. So it was super easy to carry that notebook around, but I'm not carrying a notebook around everywhere I go now. So, yeah. But my phone, my phone is always on. Honestly, if, if I was still carrying shit around everywhere I go, I would probably still have an Aaron Condren because that kept my life together. For anyone in college, if you haven't used Aaron Condren and you're trying to figure out what planner to get, dude, Aaron Condren's the shit. Yeah. I need Aaron Condren. Can I cuss on here? I mean, I've been yeah. cussing. Oh, yeah, no, I swear all the time. That That's like a rule yeah. for me. I, I swear a lot, as you know. In yeah. So I make sure I just yeah. to keep it on here. <laughs> yeah. Aaron Condren is, is where it's at. Erin Condren should sponsor this podcast. I know. She's a DG, <laughs> right? Isn't she? Wasn't oh, she yeah, she is. That's the best. We love our DGs. <laughs> yeah, um, just my phone. Yeah, just your phone. So like iPhone calendar kind of thing. Yep. Okay. Yep. Dope. Yeah, I, I use Google Calendar. So it's nice to just get like the phone notifications because same thing. It's like when you're on the road and you're making plans and like, I don't know, you make a haircut appointment, you want to just not like I'm going to whip out my notebook and right. write that down. Exactly. What about stress when it comes to dealing with stress? Because I think you've had more corporate experience over the past two years more than I have. So you probably have better insight than me. I mean, um, you know, just, just for the length of the time you've been doing it, but how do you typically deal with it? Or what have you found has been the most effective for you to deal with stress with the nature of work? Hmm. I would say I, I luckily have had a very, very good relationship with my, with my manager um, and my banker. So whenever I ha- am in a stressful situation, um, they've been really good at they're actually pretty good at reading me so they know when I'm stressed or if I'm upset and they'll usually ask me and then I'll kind of express um once they do but in situations they don't um I usually go to my sister a lot um and my friends just to kind of vent because venting helps at least for me um (laughs) and getting another person's perspective on the situation is also helpful um because sometimes you might over like overcomplicate something in your mind where in the moment it seems super stressful and then you talk to someone about it and they're like, dude, it's just this and this and this. It's not that stressful. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's not. Or sometimes they're like, yeah, you have every right to be upset. And you're like, yeah. And then that makes you feel better. Yeah. So <laughs> um, the way I, I guess, release stress is definitely just talking to people. Um, and yeah, I, I get along with my coworkers really well too. So venting to them, um, if it's, you know, something stressful that's happening, I guess, vibe wise, um, then venting to my coworkers helps too. But that's, that's how Mm -hmm. I deal with it is just talking to people. Yeah. Yeah. 
After these two years of being in in the corporate world and whatnot, what's your take on the nine to five life? And is this something you want to continue on for, you know, years to come? Or how do you feel about it compared to, I guess, before you graduated? And and I don't know, at least for me, I, I was like in the middle, I used to be like, oh, I'm so excited to, you know, get corporate experience, blah, 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 blah. And I still enjoy it. Like, I think it's really fun. Um, but at the same time, obviously, it's like, most of us come to a realization whether we see ourselves in this kind of setting for years on the line or we don't. So I'm curious, how about you? Like, where do you stand with nine to five life? Uh, yeah, we've talked about this before, but I, there's, there's days definitely when I question, you know, whether I want to be sitting at this desk for the rest <laughs> of my life, at least for the majority of my life, because Monday through Friday is definitely the majority of the week. And, you know, I, you, I think a lot of people in corporate life do realize that sometimes it might not be as fulfilling as they thought, and that's definitely stuff, you know, a thought that I've had. Um, do I see myself in corporate life for the rest of my life? I don't know. Um, have I thought about potentially moving to a different industry? Absolutely. Um, and I think something that's always come to my mind is, you know, being in this industry for however many years and then going to grad school to get my credentials and become a professor. Like that's Mm -hmm. something that I've always thought Mm -hmm. about um, just because I feel like being able to mentor someone and I, I especially, I've always thought about wanting to be that professor where every single session is, is like a standup comedy Mm -hmm. show, but they're also learning about math. Um, That's something that I've always wanted to pursue. Um, And it's, it's still something that always crosses my mind, but um, I think, what I've realized is people that do well in the corporate, I guess, hamster wheel are people that, this is just my opinion. And again, I've only been in the industry for two years, but it seems like it's people that are chasing money Mm -hmm. point blank. That's how Mm -hmm. I see it. Um, If, if they are motivated by um, getting commissions and, you know, getting a higher salary, then those people will ultimately do well. But for people who are trying to, I guess, have something that's not money, but something that's a little bit more fulfilling with their time, mm-hmm. I I think they will question, you know, whether they want to be in that hamster wheel for the rest of their lives. Um, and, you know, there's no problem with, you know, wanting security and wanting money and, and things like that. Obviously, it's just, it depends on the person. Um, it just depends on what, what uh, motivates you and what makes you happy. But, um yeah, I think that's for me from the two years. Um, that I guess that's just what I've realized. And I don't know. Obviously, money's super cool. Mm-hmm. When I see that commission check come in, I'm like, Duh, maybe I do want to stay in the industry. But <laughs> you know, I uh, I think when I'm just sitting at my computer and living my day to day, and it, you know, because commission checks only come in every quarter, you know, so you, maybe you get that feeling every quarter, but what you're living every day is that nine to five in front of that computer. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But as of right now, I'm riding the wave. I'm still learning a lot, which is super cool. I have super dope mentors, but uh, I don't know if, if this is something that I want to do for the rest of my life, but we'll yeah. see. And I, I don't know who, who knows, maybe next year I'm like, Hey man, all I want is money. Give me the dough, and I'll just <laughs> stay, stay in this industry. So, 
we'll see. You're we'll so see. funny, dude. I, I was laughing the whole time when you said, like, it's funny because it's so, tr- in my opinion as well, I think it's so true, but I never thought of it like that, how people who are kind of on that corporate hamster wheel really are chasing money. Um, and some people might listen to this and disagree, but I think myself even being corporate for, what, seven months now, um, you know, I, I do think like that's part of why even before going into it, I always had that gut feeling like this is not going to be my life forever, but I do want to see what this is like so that one day I can look back and be like, you know, I, I know what corporate life is like. I know what nine to five is like, so I can appreciate whatever I am doing at that time, you know, because I think mm-hmm. the grass is not, the grass is, always looks greener on the other side, but um, I do agree. I think. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, because honestly, what if I went into, I first went into, you know, the teaching industry and I'm like, damn, this blows. I want more dough, you yeah. know, because that could have totally happened. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah, and I, I guess too, just like tangent, I think that's why I, part of why I created this podcast is to have conversations like this, to get insight from people in different areas of life and see what they've found fulfillment in. Because I think, you know, very well about me is like, you know, I've, I've, I came to an early realization um, that like, personally, for me, I, I don't think I'm a money chaser, but not like I don't love the feeling of having it and being able to go out and right. spend it, right. But I also know at the end of the day, it's not like, I don't use that as a factor to, to determine my success or to de- determine my happiness. And I think I realized that so early on that that's part of why I wanted to help people understand as well. And I think you and I have always had that conversation, you know, obviously outside of this podcast, like what we find fulfilling in life, like what we kind of want to do that we think we'd be really good at. And and you said, professor, like, I think you'd be so good at it, like comedy show, but learning math, like that's very much (laughs) you. It's just like, I could see you up there. Like, I don't know, like at USC or something teaching and I I could totally see it. So for sure, like one of those, one of these years. (laughs) I hope so. Maybe, maybe your child will be in my class. Dude, that'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna give him or her an A. He better. A <laughs> um, couple more questions, though. What are a few pieces of advice you'd give to those still in college right now, based on what you have learned to date? Oh, go to class. <laughs> go to class, man. Oh my god. Oh, I wish the times that I didn't go to class that I went to class. Go to class because they're expensive. And um, honestly, having graduated, I kind of miss going to class, which sounds super weird. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, go to class. What else? Man. Anything you wish you did differently or anything you wish you tried while you were in college? Like if you could go back, like anything you would change or add on? Damn. I'm trying to think. I honestly feel like I had such a good college experience, mm-hmm. other than the fact that I didn't go to class. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I think just I feel like during college is kind of the time when you're trying to figure out who you are, and I also think college is a time when you go through a lot of emotional roller coasters. Um, so it's something very tangible that I found in college was therapy. So for anyone in college that's going through an emotional roller coaster, go to therapy because that shit is life changing. Um, and it took a while for me to get there. Like, I, I feel like I lucked out a lot because I, I had a professor that literally 
like did not let me leave the classroom until like a, a, a session was set up because I kind of poured my heart out to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thank him to this day for, for doing that. So, um, yeah, go to class and go to therapy. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> One last question. And it's kind of a question I ask everyone on this podcast, but what ultimately fulfills you in life? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh I get it what fulfills you <laughs> <laughs> you know what <sighs> has anyone not answered this question because I feel like I'm still trying to figure it out I think there's been a lot of people that like had have to wait to like think like they they think it through um okay. I mean, I'll give you some, like, some people say, like, relationships, some people have said family, some people have said, like, I don't know, making an impact on kind of, like, others, like, that kind of thing. I'd say for me, that's probably, like, a mix of two things, like, impacting other people, like, impacting and improving other people's lives, like, really fulfills me. So I guess, like, I, whatever I do for work, I want I want that the result it is that it positively impacts other people. So I guess that's why, you know, I, you know, I tie fulfillment into work, but like meaningful relationships as well as like my friendship with you, like things like that, like having those people in my life that fulfills me as well. But um, yeah, there's just some ideas. I don't know if that gave you some ideas. <laughs> yeah. I, I would kind of agree. Um, I mean, what, what fulfills me, I would say is definitely impact other people positively as well because I'm a type three for anyone who knows what Enneagrams are um yeah and definitely I am motivated by kind of impacting other people positively um and I think I'm still trying to figure out what fulfills me internally because I feel like impacting other people's lives it's it's a very kind of ex extroverted um m- fulfillment I would say um mm-hmm. so I'm still in the search of what fulfills me inter- internally but um definitely externally it would be impacting other people positively as well when other people are doing well I'm and it's it's because of me that makes me so goddamn happy like mm-hmm. I did that <laughs> I made you feel like that that makes me feel good yeah dude that's so good and you definitely yeah. always feel really really fucking good back in the college days like I literally have you to thank for I always share with people like I'll share with my kid whenever she goes to college and takes your class I'd be like yo you better listen to her because she changed my life when I went to church. <laughs> <laughs> so honestly low-key if that really happens in the future I'm gonna scream <laughs> that'd be crazy that would be super crazy Super cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today and being on the podcast. I was so excited to interview you. I knew I had this in mind back in December already when I, when I shared this idea with you. So I'm glad we finally got a chance to do it. And I hope uh, people found a lot of the things you shared super valuable today. Yeah, thank you. It's cool to see this take off. Yeah, thank you. All right, so that was today's episode with my very great friend, Monica Choi. 
like I said earlier, I just find so much value in what she has to say and her insights and her experience, not only in her career, but as a leader and as obviously a uh, semi-recent college grad, I guess. Um, not too recent, but at the same time, I think it's always valuable to gain insight from people that are, you know, a year or two ahead of you in terms of kind of like the the direction they're going and so that was a big part as to why I wanted to bring Monica on because I know she has a lot of experience under her belt so far and could give a realistic perspective as to kind of how to adapt to the post-grad life um, you know things you can do to prepare yourself you know dealing with co-workers all that stuff that I think um we don't really get to know as much unless we ask people directly in our friend group. So yeah, I just wanted to bring on a close friend and just have a nice laid back raw conversation. And of course, let you guys um, in on a little bit about my personal life back in the day. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. And again, be sure to check out my ebook. It is on my blog at emilyelizabeth.blog. And it definitely focuses on all things career and in interviewing and just kind of planning on the mindset behind your approach to what you can do for your career and so forth. So be sure to check it out. It's on the blog and the link will be in the show notes as well. Thank you guys so much for tuning in every week. It means the world to me and I will talk with you guys next week. Bye. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.